Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on TheBigScreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Doc Blitz. Mmm, these donuts are so good. I love doing this podcast in the morning because I have to have donuts and coffee while talking movies. There's nothing better. Well, maybe a few things, but not many. I'm happy for you, Dave. Mm, oh, would you like the sprinkled donut? <laughs> You're over there enjoying your donuts. I'm over here watching you It's enjoy a long john. It's kind of shaped like a football. Yeah. I could toss it. Go I, long. I love long johns. Let's call I it a especially bomb. love cream-filled long johns. Those it loves thi- me a cream-filled. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's it's almost too much goodness when you've got them cream-filled, but they are they are so, so good. That's what this podcast is. You think you're getting Rick and Nick, but you know we're the cream filling. We're, we're what makes it better, I guess. We're Rick and Nick, the secret ingredient stunt doubles, Dave and Hoove. This is Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. The only difference is the exterior, the the Rick and Nick exterior. It actually does exist on a Long John like that. Rick but and Nick less sprinkles, more crusty. Yeah, they're just they're just not here. So you don't you don't get to enjoy any icing. You don't get to enjoy any sprinkles. Nothing like that with them. With the Long John, thankfully, you do. Yeah, they're still not coming in. Had bad weather around this area last night, tornadoes and so forth, and apparently, I'm not coming out. They're going to be it. Not was yesterday. We're still not coming out. At this point, we just come to expect that they're going to have some kind of excuse. But Coming up on 90 shows, other than a cameo one or two, that's, that's, that's it? That's it, uh. yep. We do welcome you to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. We are sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just down from the airport, through the newly revamped and finished stretch of road there on Highway 2. They have been working on those turning lanes in the center median, and so entering the theater is much easier now because they have officially finished the center median portion next to the theater there. So... You can have a new turning lane to get into and a new way to be able to turn into the Bemidji Theater if you are going in the westbound direction, especially. You've now got a new turning lane to go through there. Thank you, MnDOT. Yes, thank you, MnDOT. And I've been seeing the parking lot pretty full at the theater on on some nights and, and some evenings. It's been really, really encouraging seeing so many people returning to the movies, getting back out and wanting to go see some of the the new big-time films that are out here this summer and returning. Uh, even with the pandemic still going on, but seeing people back at the theater has been really awesome. So, What have you if, seen this summer? I have not been to the theater yet. Okay. I'm biding my time waiting for James Bond at okay. this point. And there's not there's not been anything else that's been out this summer that has been really, really appealing to me. Like, I, I kind of pick and choose my battles. However, I do have some tickets that I have at home that I can use. So I'm going to pick and choose. If there's if there's one that's getting great reviews that I'm especially interested in, I think I'll make it back out and see one. There just hasn't been anything that's really been appealing to me so far. But 
it's good seeing people back out at the Bemidji Theater, bottom line. I haven't gone yet either. I'm, uh, you know, with an unvaccinated kid at home who's too young to get vaccinated. You can still get it if you're vaccinated, which I am. And then you can get it and bring it home and pass it off, and I don't want to do that. So I'm still kind of hung up on one of the stragglers, so to speak. But, uh, yeah, it's not over yet. Not over yet. You're waiting for the day where the theater is a little bit quieter. Yeah, yeah. If I go driving by the theater and I see seven cars, that's a good night to go to the theater. That's right. Yep. Or a good afternoon yes, to go to the theater. Maybe a matinee. Or something like that. Yeah. So as far as how things are going on the overall landscape at the movies, box office-wise especially, it's been okay. There, It's been a summer of trepidation, certainly. People are, are kind of... Slowly but surely working their way back into going to the theaters. Of course, you've got the fact that people can stream these movies that's also in play um, and and has kind of changed things as well. But the box office has been all right. Dave, you pointed it out to me that Black Widow has pulled over $300 million worldwide. Some good numbers there. F9 has pulled really good numbers worldwide. That's been That's been a big global pool kind of movie. I mean, there have been other movies where there's been a precipitous drop-off after the first weekend. For instance, Space Jam A New Legacy, which has gotten awful reviews. Um, it, it sounds like the charm of the first movie has just not been there with this movie in, in the same way. Um, that had a big drop-off after a solid first weekend. Second weekend just went really, really took a nosedive. So... We've seen a little bit of that that's going on, but if if you build it, if you've had a solid movie, uh, people are are coming out and checking it out. I've heard decent things about Black Widow. I've heard the the CGI in the movie is not good. That's been something that that some guys who who I I trust as far as their movie their movie reviewing and and their their just overall viewing of movies and and their opinions that they have. I trust what they've got on that. They said that the 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 graphics of the movie just really disappointed but otherwise it did okay solidly i don't understand how you can get some big movie properties like marvel black widow and i haven't seen it yet so i can't really comment on the cgi whether it's any good or not but there are through history movies that have all the backing in the world and i'm not just talking about the level of what cgi is able to do well you can't look at a movie in the early 90s and say the cgi was and compared to now well yeah it evolves but marvel certainly with disney behind it they ought to be able to pull it off but here's a little side rabbit hole to go down so here comes a spoiler by the way if you haven't been watching uh, disney plus and been watching the mandalorian uh three two one spoiler the end of the second season of Mandalorian, Luke Skywalker shows up. And, of course, they did get Mark Hamill to help out, but Mark Hamill, this is like Return of the Jedi era. Mark Hamill doesn't look like Return of the Jedi era anymore, so they did CGI, kind of like they had done with Moff Tarkin and Rogue One and so forth. So And Princess Leia. Yeah, yeah. and Princess Leia, too. But the it, it looked CGI. It looked de-aged. It didn't look right. Well, there was a guy on YouTube that is apparently a pretty good visual artist, and he did a good deep fake video and actually got some footage of Mark Hamill deep faked. I won't go into the details of what makes deep fake, and it looked so much better. Usually, when you do that, it doesn't land a job at ILM, but sometimes it does. Apparently, ILM saw what this guy had done and was so impressed they hired him. 
So I don't cool. know if they're gonna. I don't know if they're gonna All go right. back and officially retcon the end of scene from Mandalorian and put in his version because it does look decisively better. I don't know if they'll go back and redo Moff Tarkin and Princess Leia. I don't know, but um, it could be interesting. And hopefully, he knows how to do it. Maybe he can teach these wizards at ILM how to do it better and maybe the uh, the crew with Marvel too. When I watched that in The Mandalorian, I, I didn't feel like it took away nope. anything all that much. I didn't even think it was really all that bad when they did it. I, I it, it seems like they've kind of learned a little bit more as they've gone because that was a risk with yep. Rogue One and not everybody liked it, but it still went over fairly well. Yeah. But if if there's a guy who is doing it better or has found a way to be able to to work it so that it is better. Yeah, by all means, take a look and, and see what he's got. That's great that he got hired. That, that's really cool. Well, I like that there wasn't the fence. He's just an amateur. He's not a professional. But he's doing better results than you are, so maybe teach, have him teach you. Learn a little something. Don't be so Absolutely. such an expert that you can't learn. So yep. good for them. I hope uh, good things will be coming and steps forward with uh, CGI and de-aging and so forth. Yeah. Interesting. You know, and the nice thing about the box office numbers, too, just to touch base on it real quick before we deep dive into our discussion for the day, is that some people are trying to say, well, you know, the box are they're still not really coming back. Yeah, it's not where we want it to be, but we're aiming the right way and we're making progress. Movies like Black Widow that are doing very well and The Quiet Place Part 2 doing very, very well. But then you get movies like Space Jam and, well, people just aren't going to see it. G.I. Joe Snake Eyes, well, people aren't going to see it. They kind of know and they can sniff out a not good movie coming. So, first of all, has there ever been a good G.I. Joe movie? I mean, other than the cartoon one, has there been a good one? They've all been kind of eh. Yeah, I, I've i not been impressed with them. No. Not really. I was surprised when I saw there was another movie in the series coming out. Yeah. Now, that's not to say there's nothing to salvage from this. You know, the lead actor is getting great praise for what he's been doing. Uh, might be a front runner for the new James Bond. We'll see. Uh, Space Jam, you kind of could see it coming, was a vanity project with all the you know Looney Tunes characters all around LeBron James. It's not the same as the Michael Jordan, Bill Murray version, and people are, that did go see it, they're running away from it. It's, it is what it is. So if you build it, they will come kind of idea is hopefully what is in play. But also, you just can't recover the, the financials when you don't go to the box office. You know, if you have such a large swath that aren't going to go to the box office because they've got... HBO Max or Disney Plus or whatever. You do have the premium service for some people and you don't for others. Um, but you just, it's, it's, we're starting to see you can't make that box office recovery without the box office. I'll add this, too, on Space Jam. Yes, the first movie, it's not an especially good movie. But it is fun, fun. and it's light and it's clever and it, it just does enough to, to make you laugh and just kind of have a good time. Uh, this new one, by all indications, like you said, is a bit of a vanity project. It uh, apparently dr- tries to really draw upon whatever they could comb out of the the stable of of past Warner Brothers films, I think, and and like make all the try to drop all these references when it it just feels like they're trying to promote the HBO Max catalog as much as they can, and they're trying to promote, promote, promote all throughout anyway, and it just. It ends up fails. It ends up failing miserably, and apparently they don't even get the Looney Tunes all that involved. No, from what I saw. Yeah, it's there's a lot of little <sighs> nitpicky things that probably shouldn't have happened. That you know they should have just gone for it. It's it sounds like it was a bad idea from the An start. An ill-conceived idea. Yeah. yeah. 
square peg, round hole kind of thing. Just, yeah. you know. Unfortunate. LeBron trying to capture MJ's legacy. But exactly. Exactly. And that's what I thought from the get-go. And, and lo and behold, look at that. It's played out as such. Yeah, we'll get better. Okay, um, today, interesting, interesting topic that, that we're going to discuss. Um, Dave and I have been getting a little nitpicky lately, it feels <laughs> like. You know, we, we, go from, we go from what we discussed last time with things that we feel are overrated in the movies to movie logic. Movie logic kind of goes outside the realm of normal, everyday logic, doesn't it, Dave? Yeah, we should probably also intercede here. Spoilers will be forthcoming down the road here. Probably. So this could be a spoiler-heavy episode, particularly where logic breaks down the plot enough to the point that it doesn't work, and maybe it's the twist at the end or whatever the case. So or it's stand Bond by. being able to foil the bomb of Goldfinger seven seconds, 007 seconds uh-huh, from the end. Uh-huh. It could have happened, though. But we're going to talk about, <laughs> I think there's a couple of different ways you could approach this. You can look at this from movie logic breakdowns that are so much of a breakdown and it's just a bath of illogical activity that it takes you right out of the movie. Then there's other ones where it's a logic breakdown, but they do it in such a way it doesn't occur to you until after the movie's over. And in some cases, maybe long after the movie's over. But then I think we have to put in a special category where older movies watching it with today's mindset that there's no way that movie would work. And I don't mean because of the subject matter. Oh, that's just too sexual. They couldn't do that today. I mean, like, people didn't have cell phones in their pocket back in whenever. So if you were going to go to a Friday the 13th movie, who's that up behind the bush? I don't know. And then you send it through 911 on your iPhone. There were no cell phones back then. So it wasn't like it was a breakdown. But you got to kind of remember when you watch a movie from the 80s, well, I would have just called the police. Well, how? Well, you're in the middle of a field. Where is the phone? Pay I phone. got one in my pocket. Not in 1982, you didn't. You'd hope for a pay phone. Yep. Yeah. What's that pay phone thing? Would the movie pay phone even work? Or phone booth with, uh, with uh, oh, Colin Farrell and Kiefer Sutherland? How would that movie go? It's, it's not that dated, but it's kind of, you know, interesting. So we have kind of a couple of different categories, and there will be rabbit holes, I'm sure, galore. This could be fun. Yeah, I think Dave has more specific examples that he's going to discuss. I have more general ones that I, like when I was thinking about movie logic and researching on movie logic, most of what I came across was a little bit more in the general sense. But I'm I'm really looking forward to the very specific movie, specific movie examples and then specific examples from that that Dave has parsed through. Yeah, you know, I can get a real specific one that didn't really seem to make a lot of sense, even though the movie's great. Uh, but it was sort of a plot hole that you could drive a train through or a subway train through with Skyfall. As much as I love Skyfall, go right into James Bond, you know, when when the bad guy gets away and Javier Bardem's character escapes, because uh, he's got like three names in the movie, so we'll just call him Javier Bardem. Uh, but Silva. 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 He makes this getaway from this, you know, if it's if it looks like it's some super, super max prison, the more high tech it looks, the easier it is for Hannibal Lecter and Silva and so forth to break out of them. So he's got this little chamber set up and he's hacked into the mainframe. He meant to get caught and he's got all these doors opening. But really all of this was a rabbit hole just to open up an explosion into the subway tunnel to have a subway car go down to a particular ladder that James Bond would follow him up. How... In the name of Moses' left cheek, would Silva even know that that kind of a mousetrap would end in that scenario to go to all that trouble just for that one thing rather than just get away? 
let alone know. I mean, that, I mean, it's interesting that the logical breakdown of that. Why would you go to all that trouble just in case Bond met me on this particular ladder to get the timing right? Now, it makes for some great sequence, makes for a fun movie, but when you're looking for the logic, it just isn't there. Why would you go to all that rather than to get as far away as fast as you possibly can or get to the hearing to shoot James Bond's boss, and that's your goal? Well... How's that for specific? That is specific. Yes, <laughs> I, I'm not going to totally try to stick up for for what they they ran with there with the logic. But think about this though, if even if Bond had not been so close on his tail, at the very least you're creating a diversion with this this train accident to take away from what he's actually going for, which was the Parliament and the procedure that was going on there. So. You would at the very least create that, which kind of happened anyway. When Bond emerges, everyone is looking at what's happened with this subway accident or the tube accident that had taken place, and and then he ultimately knows where Silva is going to, and that's where he races after him. He just so happens to be right there when the train comes crashing in. But you are correct on that that the timing in place happens to be oh, it's right where he is and where both of them are as he's climbing up that ladder where that where that occurs. Wouldn't it have been so. better if Silva just planted some sort of a trap at the hearing so as Bond runs in to save the day, oh, bear trap, something, you know? Something, But yep. beyond that, here's the biggest logic breakdown for James Bond, the world's most famous spy. Wait, he's a spy and everyone knows him? Does it mean that he's bad at his job? <laughs> you know, if James Bond shows up and he's sniffing around Le Chief or whoever, shouldn't you already know the jig is up because how would the world's biggest criminal organization, Spectre or whoever, yep. not know, oh, that's, no, he's on to us, rather than, you know, some alias, but, it, you know, it's James Bond. Why not go to his apartment? Yeah. Why not talk to some of the people who he spends his time with outside of being a super spy quote-unquote spy shouldn't shouldn't shouldn't, uh whatever bad guy organization du jour have snipers set up all around mi6 so that every time james bond walks in or out or q or m or something you know shouldn't they have metal shields all the way around i mean it's kind of obvious which building mi6 is or or had been until it it got terrorized well now they got the new one yeah, they do have the new one. Well, especially with that new one, Inspector, like that that glittering monstrosity that was there, which I guess was a death trap because the because C who put it together wasn't exactly a great guy. Um, why? Yeah, like you said, why not just pick him off right then and there? Why not? But that the Kingsman have a have a you know a laundered front for a tailor maker. You know, you pull the special lever and you drop into the basement and. How would the bad guys know? The the entire James Bond premise is <laughs> built upon a series of movie logic quandaries, though. Dave, think about it. You, you can go through specific movies. For instance, Goldfinger. He is hooked up to this slab of gold and, and then using a, a golden laser, courtesy of, of one Arik Goldfinger, why not just point the laser straight at Mr. Bond and and do him in right then and there? So now what? you're into Austin Powers territory. I got a gun. I'll shoot him right now. Scott, you just don't get it. You know, that's... Exactly. It's the spoof off of that stuff. I know. If you, if you got the super, super good guy and you're the bad guys, just just do away with them. Just do it. But they don't. Nope, just do it. And and you can point to so many other examples with that. Um, I, I think of the man, the man with the golden gun. Like... 
Scaramanga feels like he's got to get the better of Bond in, in a match of wits. Dude, you, you've got him right there. Just have, have Nick Knack whack him when you get right there to the, to the island. Nick Knack, and, Patty and, whack him. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I, every, I knew I was missing something Every in there. single um, Bond movie, without exception, has that one thing that you have to not just suspend belief, but you got to take that next little step and just push a little further. Right. Goldeneye, the plane is going off the cliff and Bond is free falling faster than the plane falls to get back into the plane. Great fun sequence. So not based on the levels of physics. Do not sit next to Neil deGrasse Tyson at a Bond movie because he'll break down how the laws of physics do not apply. I'll give Casino Royale credit, though, because at the very least, when he was tortured in that brutally painful torture scene in that movie. At least when he was tortured there, there was reason for Lashif to torture him and to try to get information out of him, and he needed Bond to still be alive. He just very painfully pushed him to the brink um, when it came to trying to get the information that he needed. And there's consequences. He's having to recover. You watch any other Bond movie, right, right there, he's got a broken back, dislocated shoulder, but the next scene... Not a chance. Don't watch a Bond movie oh. next to, say, a physical therapist or a doctor because they're going to, oh, he dislocated his shoulder right there. You could see it. Well, that brings up a whole other topic in movie logic, which we'll have to get to later. Yeah. But the the whole James Bond premise also, when you, when you broaden the scope of the lens, has another thing to it. The guy has been around for 50 years. He's been around for all these different iterations. It, it truly is a world that exists fictionally because the, the stories the stories don't necessarily string together and yet then they do like the the Daniel Craig movies they have they have linked together in a way that none of the other bond films really have with with some small exceptions i mean there was the very first bond girl uh from from Dr. No also appears in from Russia with Love briefly um it, Sylvia Trench, who who Bond meets in that first card game, that first Baccarat game in, in the very first movie, and then she's there at the beginning of From Russia with Love as well. You have very rare instances like that, or even when Bond, when he's clearing out his desk in From Russia with Love, or not From Russia with Love, on Her Majesty's Secret Service because he's quitting the service at that point, he he has all these different trinkets from his past Mementos. His past adventures, those mementos there, right. Um, or even when his deceased wife, Tracy Bond, he visits her, her grave site in a, in a future Bond movie, one of the Roger Moore ones. You have some examples like that where, or even just the, the, the ongoing presence of Ernst Stavro Blofeld, you're not exactly sure when he comes into the picture, when, when officially is the first time, or if he's just a recurring character. It, it suspends the idea of continuity until it chooses not to, like the Daniel Craig movies. Well, and one of the theories is that James Bond, just like 007 being its own code name, James Bond is its own code name. And maybe it's a different guy who assumes the identity of James Bond code name, you know, and 007. They're both code names. But you get these trinkets that he's looking after. You get the wife thing. So it kind of pokes holes into that theory also. And, and I think it doesn't really matter. Generally, if you sit down to watch a movie, pardon me, and you're there to nitpick it, pardon me, you're not there for the right reasons. You don't want to sit down and, all right, let's pick this thing apart, unless you're part of the nitpickers brigade. You want to sit down and enjoy yourself, but when logic breaks down to the point that it pulls you right out of the movie, 
that's a hard time. And, you know, watch, I remember going to watch Goldeneye, and you get Pierce Brosnan in his first Bond moment, really, falling after the airplane. This is before the titles, even. I was sitting in the theater, and it was a packed theater, and somebody was like, yeah, that's not believable. Um, and they got up and left. They hadn't even started wow. the movie. <laughs> so, it, you know, if you're there for logic, 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 I you'd be hard-pressed to find pretty much any movie that is going to hold together. So when you get ideas where the logic really works, like you can go to a Christopher Nolan movie, you can talk Memento, let's say, that is a great movie where the logic, you know, it's not all laid out in front of you. You have to kind of figure this out as you go. And not only that, it's made difficult because it's backwards, but while it's running backwards, there's another scene that's running forward and it's all kind of intercut. And where the forward portion ends is basically where the backward portion begins, so to speak. But it doesn't lay it all out for you. When he's talking about, you've got to use that logic about that other diabetic guy. If you've seen the movie, you know what we're talking about, that over-medicated his wife. Or his wife is diabetic and he gave her too many shots because she didn't believe that he really couldn't form memories. It's actually the main character, but it's being told as a different story if you follow the logic on it. It's well-constructed and it works. But when you have those moments in movies where the logic is so huge... It makes no sense. I'm a Star Trek fan, and you know when I was many, oh many boy. years ago, they had the con- the big connection between Captain Kirk and Captain Picard, and they got together on the big screen with Star Trek Generations. We got to get these guys together. We got to make it work. How can we do it? Well, we'll come up with this little energy ribbon thing that defies time and space. All the mechanics to make that work was about even more convoluted than Silva's attempt to drop a subway car on James Bond. There's no way. The plot hole was so big you could fly an armada of starships through it in order to make it work. Now, I don't know if you've seen the movie. I don't know if you know what I'm I talking have. about. I do. It's it is it's fun to get through it. All right, all right. Let's just pretend. Let's go along with it. But even then, you're like, why would, how, what? You know, if you stop and try to work out the mechanics, not only is blood going to shoot out your ear, but it just, it takes out all the enjoyment. But if you just sit and watch it, it's fun. But when you start to think about it, Maybe during the movie, it just kind of pulls you right out of the movie. And that can be detrimental to your enjoyment factor. Well, it can. But when when you are in the realm of science fiction, there are seemingly endless possibilities but as even far as then, what you want to try to do and how you want to try to create some kind of new new plot factor to it. I mean, we've seen that in the TV show. You know, Picard essentially lived a life in the TV show, in, in one of the episodes, which is one of the more jarring TV episodes that I've seen. The Inner Light great yeah. episode. It's it's an amazing episode. And and at the end of it, you feel as shook as, as Picard does because he basically lived a lot he basically lived an entire life. And then he had and then by by one way or another, he comes back to who he was prior to all of that. And but yet the logic he, works. It it does, but I I mean it's such a jarring episode. It, it's so jarring, and and Picard feels the effects of it long after. I mean they they still they would reference that episode at other times further down the line even. But it, it does bring up the point though that in science fiction there's possibility. There's possibility to maybe go off the map a little bit to test said logic. 
and to try to find different ways to do it. But yes, in this particular instance, they really did test the very boundaries and perhaps cross them where no one has gone before in order to be able to make something like that happen where you are literally bridging the gap captain to captain. It's been said, and I'm paraphrasing this, but I read somewhere just basic story design construction of a story. The audience or the readers or the listeners or whatever we're doing here, they'll take one leap with you, one leap, but two is pushing it. Now, science fiction, you kind of almost get a second leap because what, people living on ships? That's ridiculous. Well, you got to think sci-fi. So you almost get a gimme. A gimme leap, just the concept. What? He's flying with a giant Malmalute-looking dog named Chewbacca? What? Those don't exist. So that's the one automatic gimme, but then you get the one more leap. So if you are going to do time travel or something, that's the leap. But if you found out that, say, Marty McFly was really an alien, that's one leap too many, and you lose the audience there. So if you have a leap of logic, you, I think, are given a grace point as to how far the logic can stretch, Sci-fi, like we said, you get that extra gimme, so if they'll jump 100 yards, sci-fi will give you 200 yards, but not three. So if you make it too much of a leap that the audience can't follow you, then right there you've lost your audience because they can't go where you're trying to lead them. And that's, you know, the Star Wars sequel trilogy goes down that realm. Um, You know, there's no way Luke would have behaved the way that he did behave. And, you know, when you come up with those things, you got to find a way that makes it work. You know, I like Tarantino movies because... Even Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is a fantasy, they're very realistic-based. I mean, this didn't happen, but could it happen? Could the Manson murders have happened that way? I mean, if they'd gone to a different house, maybe. The guy did have his own flamethrower. So it's, <laughs> you know, okay. It's, it's, it's interesting, but it's plausible. Okay. But they're very based in reality, the way they talk, and there's a logical thread that if you really go back and look at things, did Booth, you know, murder his wife? He probably did, maybe accidentally, but, you know, if you follow the logic, it kind of makes sense. Rick and Nick TalkFlix is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater as we discuss movie logic a little bit today and various elements of movie logic. Dave, I think if there is a prop that seems to get an ex- that seems to get a pass when it comes to movie logic, maybe more than any other, it's got to be a car. Cars seem to suspend movie logic all on their own in so many ways. How about when cars will fly through the air and then sustain no damage? Whatsoever. I almost feel like you're talking about the Dukes of Hazard. Well, sure. Dukes of Hazard, the Fast and Furious movies do it to a comical degree. I mean, they, they jump from building to building in, in Dubai. Like, what are we doing here? Batman can do that in Batman Begins. Finn Diesel cannot do that. No, I like with the Batmobile, I can believe it a little bit more. Plus, they even in the Dark Knight, they, they got it to the point where the Batmobile did actually break down and and get get seriously damaged and of course that then set Bazooka up Blast will do that though. Yeah, it did. That set up for the bat pod to be used then which just kind of burst right out of it but um yeah, when you cars just seem to suspend all logic sometimes. The way that that they are able to sustain da- even when they do sustain damage or are in an accident and they just keep going. They just keep going. Like I think of the Bourne the Bourne Supremacy, I, I I do really enjoy the car chase there because unlike the Bourne Identity where Jason Bourne is just ripping his way through the streets of Paris and and he does it incredibly skillfully and pretty much 
flawlessly. Even, yes, going down a flight of stairs and, oh, somehow the tires hung in there. There's there's another piece of movie logic that gets tested. But it's such a good chase that you just kind of you kind of forget about it. Um, but in The Bourne Supremacy, it, it's actually a chase where it does not go all that smoothly when he's when he's trying to get away from both the police and Carl Urban's uh, assassin character. It doesn't actually go smoothly. But by the by the end of it, you're kind of amazed that his car is actually still moving along with how much damage he had taken and and the way that the car still is able to make its way along somehow. It's cars funny. cars just seem to be bulletproof. And, and uh, no pun intended, but pun kind of intended on that one. Like they they seem to be bulletproof with the way that they can just either take a hit and keep on ticking or don't even take any damage at all for the sake of what exactly are we trying to promote here through maybe a little bit of product placement? Well, there's that. I mean, there's that special effects, boys and girls. It doesn't really work like that in the real world. But you're going to see, you know, America's scariest police chases. And there's somebody that watched the Fast and the Furious movies, thinks they can, A, drive like them, and B, thinks their vehicle can perform like that. For one, you've got these highly modified vehicles for the shows. You know, they're just, they're built like that. Or if something does break off, they'll cut away. But sometimes not fast enough. Let's go to the Dukes of Hazard real quick. The General E takes the big jump. And depending on which episode, they may not have cut away fast enough. And you could see the whole front end crumple and maybe a wheel come off. Because that did happen. Though, the, you know how many Dodge Chargers they destroyed that just don't exist anymore because of the serious body damage? And the Dukes of Hazard alone... They got to the point where they were running out of Dodge Chargers. It's not like the world doesn't have any more. But at some point, they started using remote-controlled cars for this because they're just, they just couldn't find them. Or they would try to repair one just enough because they didn't have them anymore. So if you try to jump a car like that and you think you're just going to stick the landing and keep trying, you go right ahead. Go watch the movie uh, Road Trip with Tom Green in it when they jumped the bridge. That's what happens, boys and girls, when you really jump a Ford Taurus over a river, when you land, ba-boom, the tires fall off and the airbags go off, and it doesn't work like that. If you're going to, you know, let alone have the skill and know how to drift like this, that's why when you watch the YouTube channel of police chases and cars that are going off the road, cars don't perform like that, particularly when it's just some random car that somebody gets into and not some souped-up muscle machine when you just get the good guy dive into a Volkswagen Beetle, they don't drive like that. Mini Coopers are really cool cars, but the Italian job makes it look like they all do that. They don't. They need specially modified cars and expert drivers so that when you think you could be like the movie guy, it doesn't really work out so well. Along the same line of, of cars, I mean, people have that same kind of effect in movies too. Movie logic seems to seems to trade in. It seems to exchange reasonable thought as far as injuries for, well, if it's a main character, they can take a few extra hits and they're going to be okay. But if it's if it's like a throwaway character, ah, they're you know they take one hit and bang, they're down for He's the a red shirt. Yeah, they're they're a red shirt. Absolutely, another another good Star Trek reference. But that that really is how it works. It seems like and and at the boss level, especially the quote unquote boss level, there's another movie logic thing of just that final battle and the way the final battle can can sometimes occur. Injuries get treated on different kinds of planes depending on the significance of the character, and and we're totally okay with it because we want to see those those main characters take. 
a lot of extra hits in order to to go down. All it takes is one shot, perhaps, for an orc to go down or one swing of the sword. But with Boromir, no. He needs three, four, five arrows to be sticking in him. And even then, he's going to have just enough left in the tank to be able to say goodbye and I failed you and all of those things. In real life, that you don't get to get sprayed with automatic weapon fire and get up and shake that off. Oh, man, that hurt. Anyway, moving forward, you're kind of done. Maybe forever, you know, but at the very least, you're out of the fight. And they put you in the ambulance and try to save you, but it doesn't work like that. Um, if you get a shot, and they never see the guy recovering from his injury generally. He might have his arm in a sling, ow. But maybe like uh, Scream, where you get the Dewey character, where every movie now he's got a weird walk and he's got a weird thing with his hand because of nerve damage. That might be, maybe, I'm trying to think here, that might be really the closest realistic p- depiction of what happens after you get stabbed and live. That uh, you're going to have scars, not just visually, but I mean, you're going to have disabilities to some point. Well, this got severed and this is this, so now my arm is all kind of messed up and I get a limp. And that is probably the most realistic that it gets. But I mean, it also works for the character, brings in some sympathy, but it never happens like that. You know, maybe by Rocky Five, now he's feeling brand damage and he's, he's Adrian, I got. That's maybe realistic. You know, you don't get to fight like that forever and take hits like that. Rocky's big right. strategy was to absorb the punishment and then fight back. Goodbye remembering your own name, you know. And so whether it's leukemia, you know, by the time we get to the, the, the Creed movies, he's, his, his brain is just marshmallow at this point. It's got to be. By the time we get to Rocky Five, it's already there. Hands are shaking and he can't remember things. Yeah. And, and that was the fifth movie. We're up to what eight movies now, right? So, yeah, and that is something. That kind is of all realistic. we will say about Rocky Five, by the way. Yeah, that's maybe <laughs> the only good thing about Rocky Five. But it's um, you just don't deal with those injuries. Maybe Indiana Jones, in a way, he's a real guy, and that was one of the things when they started coming up with it. We do want it to be something believable, but even then, some of the stuff that Indy does. It's not the years, it's the mileage. And, you know, you could say what you want. We've kind of gotten down on Harrison. Well, I don't want to say gotten down, but just kind of been very wary of an 80-some-year-old Harrison Ford trying oh, to boy. do the stuff. Even when he did Temple of Doom in 84, he got severely injured with a back injury that required surgery. And a lot right. of the shots, they had to shoot around him for a long time. And they had, you know, stand-ins, even just for, okay, Indy's going to run from here to here. They would shoot him from behind because it wasn't Harrison Ford. He had to go back to the States and get back surgery. He gets hurt in every of these movies, and I love the fact that that's the case because he really doesn't want the stunt doubles. Even Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, a lot of that is really him. But you're getting to the point now where when you're 80 and you're going to go running like that, I you, there's just limitations to the human body. You just you can't. And so you don't want to see, if it's an Indiana Jones movie, you don't want to see Indiana Jones on the resting home. Because it's, it's unrealistic for one, but B, good for him for trying anyway. I mean, I'm not going to say, well, you're too old, you got to stop. Shame on you. No, no, no. But if it's like Jerry Rice playing in the NFL way past, he was able to really do it, and there's Jerry hobbling down to try to get a long bomb pass, it's kind of sad, you know, especially at that level when you remember him at his peak. That's what I'm saying. But at the same time, go watch Bubba Hotep. I'm probably going down a different you know, rabbit hole here where it's about allegedly Elvis in a resting home, who believes there's a mummy coming, so Elvis didn't die, he's alive, and now he's a decrepit old man, but he still has a little fight in the tank. You know what I mean? 
And that would be kind of fun. I like that movie. And if they were going to do something like that with James Bond or with Indiana Jones or any of these characters, John McClane, that might be kind of fun. He's not just your average senior citizen, kind of like R.E.D., Red, you know, (laughs) retired and extremely dangerous kind of thing might be something interesting. So I've gotten into a couple of general ones. What were some of the other specific ones that you had in mind, Dave? Oh, you know, let's take a turn with... um, we did. We kind of touched on it a little bit. I love horror movies. I'm a fan of horror. Oh movies. man, horror movie but logic. A lot of them. Oh. You have to factor in the technological thing now too. I think that would make for something really interesting. You know, I've come up with some hypothetical script ideas for future horror movies, but the problem now is we're so connected. So how do you find a way to really be alone and off on your own? You've got to adapt. You've yeah. got to adapt, but you've got to come up with some calamity. You know, how come there isn't a horror movie that lasts more than two minutes? Because if you're alone in the woods and there's an axe guy out there, well, you've got your phone. I mean, if you, even if you don't have cell coverage, you have something that you can do that you couldn't do back in, say, the Friday the 13th era. So you've got to come up with a limitation. But even then, you're going to come up with a cliche. What? The cell towers are down? What? The cell towers are down? The next movie. Well, the cell towers are down. you got to come up with something that kind of removes you from the elements. And is plausible. And it's plausible. Yeah. And they can't always take place in the middle of the ocean. you got to come up with something. There's a solar flare that's waking up all the dead, and it's wiped out all the cell towers. Go. You know, something... It's got to be interesting to be done. So you've got a kind of a logic breakdown if you don't do it right. You know, well, how do these horror movies last longer than three minutes? Because I'll just take a picture of this and upload it to Facebook. Anyone know this guy? Yeah, that's my neighbor, George. Then you go outside. Hey, George, put the axe down. Your wife wants you to go home. That's a horror movie realistically these days. you got to come up with something that, you know, makes it plausible and makes it work and functions within logic. So maybe they all have to be said in the past, you know, where they didn't have that kind of stuff. Or movies like Halloween Kills, you know, or the new Halloween movie that's coming out, the Halloween 2, whatever you want to call it, and Halloween Ends, which will be out in a year. They're modern day, but they're kind of working. And you're not finding reasons to think, well, why wouldn't they just do this? Because you got to fill a movie with stupid people to make it work sometimes. You think, well, that's so unrealistic. And then you look out your front window and you realize maybe it's not so unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where, you know, I'm not a big fan of Roger Ebert, but that's what he kind of called a lot of the slasher movies was the Dead Girl Stupid People movie. It's the latest entry into the Dead Girls and Stupid People movie entry because it's, you know, it doesn't function on logic at all. That's about the only thing Roger Ebert ever said that I agreed with because he's, <laughs> he's not wrong. Wow. He's not wrong. But uh, Dave coming in hard. It's true. Is everything I'm saying about it is true. But I'm not saying I don't like those movies. There's something to like about them. Sometimes, if you were in college, you'd have the drinking game. When somebody does something absolutely stupid, they're running right by the front door, and there's the killer. Where do they go? Not out the front door. They go up the stairs or in the closet somewhere where there's no escape. You know, why would you do that? There's a whole, see that highway right there? Run out the door, run on highway, keep running until bad guy loses breath. That's how you get away. But that never happens that way, you know? So there's just a complete logic breakdown or you require the presence of stupid people to make the plot work. You know, it'd be cool if you come up with a story, horror or otherwise, filled with interesting logic to make it work. And you, you you think ahead, well, why don't you just do this? Aha, you can't do this because it's behind a force field or something, you know, like Cabin in the Woods comes to mind. Um, or you've got people that 
are intelligent. And so you have to outthink them. You have to outthink the clever bad guy or the bad guy has to outthink clever people. And you don't just, you know, assume, well, this is going to be so so easy and simple. They're just going to go out the door. Bad guy knows you're going to go out the door. Bad guy has set a trap, something, you know. If you can construct it so that it's A, logical, and B, intelligent, now you got the audience going along and you almost get a sense of dread because you can't just yell at the screen, well, why don't they just do this? They've demonstrated that they've already thought of that. You know, whether the phone lines get cut. Okay, great, but everyone's got a cell phone in their pocket. You could cut the lines to my house. Wouldn't matter. I don't have a phone in my house. It's in my pocket. So how do you solve that problem? How do you solve the fact that you don't even need a phone? You can just get a picture and upload it to social media, and even police departments have that. That would work. You know, clever phone calls, like you're ordering pizza, but you're really talking to the dispatcher, and they catch on. There's clever ways to get around that stuff. How do you, as a screenwriter, anticipate those, cut off those avenues of easy explanations and escape, and make the plot work? I still really want to see your horror movie screenplay in action that you've been working on. I don't I, have one written. It's just on no, the top you, of my head. You, it, it's off the top of your head, but you've thought about it a lot more than than perhaps you would just say in a comment like that. I mean, that breakdown that you just gave is is proof of that, that you've, you've given a lot of thought to how to make it really work. I, I told you we did the horror movie one, and I gave my premise for what I think would be a good Friday the 13th movie where you get all the final girls back together into like a therapy camp or something, and then it happens again, and they don't all make it. So something like that. That's If, you go on a, if yep. anyone really wants to go out there and write one, I'll give you a freebie right there. Just give me a little credit. Hey, thanks, Dave, in the credits. That'd be good enough for me. Just make sure that it's good and logical, or relatively logical, well, yeah. based off what Dave just described there. When you watch movies like, say, we'll stay with the horror genre just a little bit, the new Halloween movies, Jamie Lee Curtis, talk about having destruction and you have consequences of those actions. She's not necessarily physically scarred, although she did get stabbed a couple times in those movies, so she has those scars. But she's mentally scarred. She's a broken person in those movies. Her, her, her uh, uh, Oh, I could, Laurie Strode, there we go. She is, I mean, talk about PTSD and screwed up and her demeanor is kind of pushing her family away. But then at the very, very end, you kind of find out that they're kind of in on it. You know, the daughter who the whole movie is, Mom, you got to get back to reality. She herself has been prepped. So you talk about a doomsday prepper, but they're really kind of prepping for what they knew would be inevitable. And sure enough, it happens. And the daughter, the whole movie, no, Mom, you got to come back to reality. She's ready. You know, it's almost like a possum act to bring Michael in and then Michael's doomed. Or so we think, because obviously there's a sequel that apparently takes place right after the events of the first one, and we'll find out more about that this fall when it comes out, Halloween Kills, and Halloween ends a year after that. So, But they deal with it in a realistic way. For one, Michael Myers is slightly more than normal human. You know, he's got some kind of sub, not subhuman, but superhuman ability to a point. Maybe it's not as laughable as it has been before, but it's there. Um, which was also kind of spoofed in the Friday the 13th game. You can actually morph, like beam, from one side of the board game to the other, which <laughs> seems to be the case. He, well, wasn't he back there in the building, 100 flights up, and uh-huh. two steps later, he's right over there. Uh-huh. How many of these guys are there? You know, that kind of thing. Yep. Breaks down the logic, but it is what it is, so maybe they've got special powers. But it deals with it realistically. It Just like if Batman begins, if you were really going to have a Bill Gates-type somebody, Bruce Wayne, fight crime, it was not based on a fantastical Joel Schumacher kind of Batman era. This, If you were going to do it, this is probably how it would be done in a realistic manner. And Batman begins, and that whole Nolan thing, maybe up until the point of the Bat Pod and all that, 
was based very much in reality rather than the comic book realm. So if yeah. you could find a way to put a horror movie like the new Halloween movies or Batman into something realistic, the logic doesn't break down as dramatic and it moves. It works. Here's a few quick hitters as we get toward the end of the, the episode here. Um, a few others that, that have come to mind for me. One, time. Time is a major one. Movies play so fast and loose with time. Whether it's, again, like I talked about earlier, the, the bomb ticking down, getting diffused at the very last possible minute or the, at the last possible moment, it gets redirected off course, the missile does. You, you see that a lot. Um, th- they play fast and loose with time that way. Movies also play fast and loose with time as far as time jumps. There, there are so many times where when there's a jump of like six months later or a year later or many, many years later, I always look at those jumps and I go, it feels like we are just picking up where we left off prior to the time jump and you don't get any depth of, of what's happened in between. It doesn't feel like there's all that much that has changed in between with a movie. I think one that captures it pretty decently as far as the passage of time is Castaway. Because they, they have a time yeah. jump that takes place within that movie and I feel like they... Uh, there's other things that that movie tests as far as movie logic and, and from a survival standpoint, certainly. But from a, a time standpoint, you can feel the passage of time and not just with how Tom Hanks' character looks by that point or how Wilson the volleyball looks by that point. But you feel the passage of time, um, including with when he goes home. He's especially a when a different character at three different characters. Yes. The beginning part, it's almost like an act. The first act, he's one version of Nolan. Yes. He's a totally different version, the second part of the movie, and then he gets home. It's a whole other side of Nolan. He, you see, like, he's just, he's quiet, he's changed. Like, I thought they captured that passage of time yeah. pretty well. Because how often do you see, like, a passage of time where the character, it just feels like you, you are literally just jumping them from one time and place to another, and you have... No in between. You have no in between. No indication of they've they've changed during this time, and then it reflects the rest of the movie. Or there's a lot that would have happened in that time. Why does nothing feel different? They they movies play fast and loose with time in in so many ways. Those are only a few of them. Here's the other one, and this I was thinking about this as you were talking about the horror genre. Thought Which is not per- a place where logic is to go to be found. Correct. By the way. Not thought, even in Jaws. Character thought perception is another one where the logic gets really tested in a lot of ways, or sometimes warped in a lot of ways. That that premonition when a character just feels like I shouldn't do this thing. I, I like you as the audience, or especially when the audience knows, oh, there's somebody who's hiding around the corner, and yet the character who's just making their way along, unbeknownst to them, somebody's waiting to jump out and attack them. Why do they suddenly have a premonition out of nowhere that somebody is maybe in the same space as them? Where did that come from? It wasn't there previously. It might have not been there previously in another situation or scenario similar to this. Why is it there now? Character premonitions are another one where logic just seems to go out the window sometimes. And again, especially when the audience knows that there is something that is wrong here. How exactly did they have that premonition that there would be somebody on the other side of the door and that they should shoot their gun before before they open that door and shoot through that door to make sure they can clear out that character on the other side? How did they know that? 
Yeah. You know, I think a lot of you know police dramas, that kind of thing, where they take a leap from this thing to that thing. Sometimes you you get it. You need to condense the story down, and so yep. you can't have every single step that would really happen in a police procedure. Because actually, in real life, it's a little on the boring side. You know, you get a special light, you get a special DNA test, whatever it is. It's a little boring, so it has to be a little more spiced up. You know, but it, sometimes you got to find that balance between making it realistic and something interesting to watch. But sometimes you got to watch that balance because how did you get from here to here? You know, how did you eliminate all these other people and zero in on the one guy when you didn't do this or this or this or this or this? I have a friend of mine that is a cop, and we'll go. We've seen movies like that where he'll start whispering to me during the movie. There's no way that would happen, man. They would. <laughs> I said, Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Let's just watch this. You know, just let it go. Oh, that movie was totally off because of did it, did it, did it. I get it, I get it. You know, but if it, you still got to find within the realm of logic and make it work. You yes. know, it, it's got to happen. And if it doesn't, you you lose that audience. If you take that leap that's too big, you're out. It's all about the drama do you have one more quick one here before i have one final point that i i really want to wrap up for us you know the one thing i think we could touch on and we'll do it in a general way is the forces of nature and nature does things in some movies that nature just doesn't do why does it always rain during funerals and movies I don't know if it always rains, but, you know, it's it's kind of a dramatic thing. You know, it's, yes. it's God is crying with us, that kind of idea. You know, it's sad and depressing on rainy days and Mondays, said the Carpenters. It's just, rainy I get it, it's a, creative, it's a creative license, but, you know, the tornadoes and Twister are not like the shark in Jaws. It's not out to get you. And to think that, you know, I understand how maybe some people think, well, God hates me. He's going to send a tornado. Maybe, okay, fine. Some people are just, you know, they're going to be the target because they believe they're the target. But, I mean, the the tornadoes in, in Twister were the shark in Jaws. Now it's really, really windy and really personal. It just it doesn't work like that. So it's not going to jump over that house and this house just to get you and follow you wherever you go. And just like the shark isn't going to follow you to the Caribbean, I mean, we don't. The less we talk about Jaws, the revenge, the better we go. But sharks don't swim backwards. Sharks don't do like, and sharks aren't after people. You know, when people do get bit, they're usually in the wrong place at the wrong time. There's like a lot of seals or something, or they mistake you for something that they think is their real food. Sharks are not serial killers. Those are not really daggers in their mouth like Jack the Ripper. They're just teeth. That's what they do. When you go in the woods and you run across a bear, no kidding. You know, but if you want to watch a logical breakdown, go watch Shark Week. You know, that's that's a show that's jumped the shark literally. Oh uh, yeah, pun intended. Yeah, but you know the way those movies went, the first one was awesome. It's a great story. You know, now there's another one. Is it possible that it was coming for revenge? Interesting story, but no, doesn't really matter. If that's the leap, we can go with the rest of it. The second one is good, but after that, it gets really stupid. And I don't see how they could do another Jaws movie at all because it would have to get stupid because that's what they do. But nature works the way that nature works. You know, the bear in the movie The Edge, kind of realistic, I suppose. I mean, it's it's a little more like a bear serial killer, but go read the book Night of the Grizzlies, and you might find out that sometimes... It can be fantastical. Um, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. But um, when nature is shown in a way, whether it's weather, whether it's animals, whether it's what the the tide does, the movie the day after tomorrow theoretically is possible. However, it wouldn't take a week for that to happen. It would probably take more like maybe six months or six years. But the science 
is real, but in a very sped up way. When it makes sense, because you got to have the movie take place in a time frame. You get seven characters condensed into one. I, I get it. We got to condense things down for the sake of the movie. I get it. And then it becomes pure insanity weather-wise. Yeah, yeah. It's, it wouldn't happen like that, but it's the science is mostly sound, but it wouldn't take place the way it was shown in the movie. But you know, what, whatever it is, when nature is shown in a way that does not reflect actual science, kind of drives you crazy. So You got something. All of this to say, I, I think a good place for us to, to wrap this all up with, Dave, is thinking about... How much of this do we choose to accept and where do we draw the line? Because we have brought up a lot of different things movie logic wise where we've talked about it and maybe talked about it with a specific movie and yet we really enjoy that movie. We really, we really enjoy it even though the logic has to be suspended within that. When do we choose to suspend such logic and when does it become an albatross for the movie? I think it's a really big question to to ask with all of this. Well, you got to also remember, let's talk about it from a movie theater perspective rather than home, because I think the theater works best because it's designed, that very big auditorium, to be a blank slate. Unlike your home where everything is familiar and you know every the, the little picture on the wall, it makes you comfortable. But at a movie theater, you're kind of on a blank slate that if it wants to make you feel happy, joy, joy, it will. How many times are you at a movie theater and you're sucked into the movie that you kind of forget you're in a movie theater surrounded by strangers? You just kind of forget because you're brought in. A break in logic like that when you choose not to be a part of it kind of kicks you out of that experience because you suddenly become aware this is stupid, and it's not realistic to the point where it's not even entertaining, and then you become aware you're in a room full of strangers. It just takes you right out of the whole experience. That's when it breaks down, and I don't necessarily think it's a choice, although I do think some people go to, to pick things apart, and they don't go for what I would say, in my opinion, is the reason to go. Be entertained. Get lost for a couple hours. That's what I want. But other people, they're just, uh, oh, well, maybe they didn't want to be there in the first place. It was just a way to kill two hours. This is stupid. Eh. Maybe there's that. They never give the movie a chance. That's also a possibility. But if you're really kicked out of the experience by some factor that's not your own doing, there's your first sign right there. I think, I think. The, the extent to which a person is entertained by a movie is also is maybe the biggest catalyst of all. Are you entertained? Are you not entertained? And if you are entertained, you kind of are willing to let that logic go out the window. If the movie appeals to you on an emotional, to an emotional degree. I mean, we haven't even talked about the way that dramatic, the drama-based movies will, will toy with movie logic in that way. They'll, they'll do that, but if, you're, if your heartstrings are tugged on, if, if, it's, if you're really feeling it, then... Logic gets suspended in a movie, and that's part of what makes movies really enjoyable is, yes, even sometimes the way that logic gets suspended within them. That, that, we, we go to the movies to be entertained. We, we go to be entertained. You know, sometimes it feels like real life is brought into the movies almost too much, you know, to, to a degree, especially these days. In, and, and then... And then those movies just feel very dour, and they, they feel, 
you almost left you you leave sucker punch you hope maybe you learn something from movies like that but it's like man i feel like i got punched in the gut watching that movie or boy you had to bring some of the realities of the world into this movie as well and it's like i already see enough of that in the world around me i i wanted i want to come to the movies people sometimes want to come to the movies for an escape quote unquote which I guess is it's a weird feeling to talk about it that way because it's like an escape is almost like you're numbing pain in some ways. But but entertainment entertainment can can be fun and sometimes it can bring up good conversations. But that that's part of what we really enjoy about the movies is the sense of wonderment, the sense of of traveling to some different place and seeing what happens within that world. And maybe it does punch you in the gut sometimes in order to do that. But it's nice. It, 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 it's much like what the prestige gets into with those three parts to a magic act. You know, at the very end, after all of, all of what's happened, you know, you've had whatever thing be taken away or disappear. The audience wants you to bring it back. They want you to bring it back. They want you to bring it back. And that's where the applause kicks in. The applause. The prestige. The wonder. The prestige of it. They want the magic act to pay off. They want there to be a payoff in the end. If there's not, sometimes it works. Sometimes. Sometimes it, it, it works best if you leave going, oh man, I feel like I just got just got whacked in the stomach. But there are times where to do such a heavy-handed bit of work leaves, leaves everyone feeling empty in, in a bad way. Sometimes, though, you want that emptiness to be accompanied by resolution, to be accompanied by some kind of payoff. And especially if it's a mo- an, an emotionally uplifting one, it can work. And so then, all of a sudden, you, you forget that logic was maybe toyed with or, or tossed around in a way that a magician could only dream of. A magician could probably only dream of doing the, the things that the magicians who are the movie makers can do because they can warp the things that they have around them to help them create their magic trick. I think you nailed it. I think, you know, Steven Spielberg is as much a magician as Houdini. And the whole idea of all of it is to manipulate you, to make you think and feel what they want you to think and feel, to believe that the birds are disappearing, to believe that they blew up a shark that terrorized New England. But, you know, if you do it right, You're not seeing, you know, you're watching the right hand while the left one's doing the trick. You don't figure out what the left one was doing until maybe much later. The best, I think, example of this, which funny enough, kind of I discovered with the Big Bang Theory show, was that Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, you aware that the plot, Indiana Jones serves no point to that plot ultimately. And that even if Indiana Jones wasn't present at all in Raiders of the Lost Ark, this series of events would unfold the same. Correct. The Ark would have gotten to the island, they would open it, everyone's faces melt, and it's just there. Probably the only thing Indy did do was phone the authorities, hey guys, the Ark's here on this island. Otherwise, somebody would have found it on their own and figured it out. That's... He had no point to the plot. If you fact, if you figure it out, nothing would have changed. Which, as it's it's one of those epiphany moments, like what? Oh my god, he's not wrong. You know, there's an argument to be made, but that's kind of an interesting logic breakdown, I guess, in a way. But you didn't think about it till thirty years later, so it certainly doesn't pull you out of the movie. 
And I've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark since. I'm like, yeah, even if he wasn't there, this this was a much better version of the story. It's like six of one, half dozen of another. I like the six of one better than the half dozen of another. It's the same thing, gets you to the same place, but differently. You know, and I like I prefer the version with Indy in it versus then Nazis just chip the thing off and it goes and that's it. So yeah, it's it's an interesting one. But when the when the logic breaks down to the point where while we're watching the movie or shortly after the movie, yeah, but and that's the first thing you're thinking as you're walking out. You haven't even thrown away your soda cup yet. That's a problem. Yeah, but what we it is funny that we allow ourselves. To accept that to certain degrees with some movies, and then with others it becomes too much. But I, I think that that speaks to the movie on the whole. How good is the movie on the whole? How willing are you to suspend thought? I mean, let's let's go back to the very beginning of this episode. I talked about Space Jam a little bit. I mean, Space Jam is it, it's just it's a ridiculous concept, and yes, it's a silly movie, but it's fun and it works and it works and it's entertaining and it's and it's clever there's some really funny lines in there and it's just and michael jordan's just kind of there and he's just like whatever i guess i've got to do this and one of my favorite lines in the movie is as the looney tunes are psyching themselves up out on the basketball court about ready to begin the game um you know tweety bird goes those monsters are gonna wish they've never been born and then michael comes in and what he says to them next it just cracks me up every time he's like in the midst of all this, they are trying to avoid getting jailed on moron mountain for forever and he comes in and goes guys Let's just go out there and have fun. <laughs> I'm like, what? They are trying to avoid enslavement here. And you're like, guys, let's just go out there and have fun. But it's a fun movie. There's a little more at stake, Mike. Just, you know all that? It's it's zany. <laughs> exactly. It's zany and it's fun and you can pass off a <laughs> A line like that and some of the other in, insane stuff that goes on, like just Michael realizing, yes, you are a cartoon. Your arm can stretch as far as you want it to. It's like, why didn't he realize this sooner earlier in the game? But it's just it's just a fun movie, so it works. I it think, works okay. I think there's exceptions to everything. If the audience is going to take a leap, obviously when you get live action and cartoons together, whether it's Space Jam or Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that was just what that's, I was your, that's yep. your leap right there. And so you know going <laughs> yep. into it what you're in for. It's not like, well, let's take the kids to see the newest superhero movie, Deadpool. You clearly had no idea what you were in for and didn't notice that it's rated R. And half a second into the movie, you're like, whoa, we've made a mistake. You go into a movie like that, you ought to know what you're in for. When Michael Jordan is right next to Bugs Bunny or LeBron James is next to Mickey Mouse, you know what you're in for. So to say that I, I couldn't follow the logic of it, maybe if you're a parent and you're you know shanghaied by your kids to go see it, that might be one thing. But you know what you're in for in movies like that. But when you go see something that looks like it's based on logic, here's one of a super spy, and it just is no logic to it at all. Sometimes it can pull you out, but Bond is more than that. It's an adventure. So, yeah, if it pulls you out of the movie in the middle of the movie or just after the movie credits roll and you look at who your next is, that movie just was so unbelievable, then maybe that's the problem. Maybe so. Yeah. Yep. Another couple passes in the writer's room would have been good. Yeah, even sci-fi movies can do that. Yep. Even sci-fi movies were like what we talked about earlier. You can you can expand the realm of logic a little bit more than maybe in others. You've still got to make it a good story, though. You've oh, yeah. still got to make it a good movie. You've still got to make 
all of those things work. Like, I mean, Wrath of Khan, you you could maybe in some ways question, you know, how Khan stayed around all those years, plus the fact that they just so happened to find the place where he crash-landed and just so happened to land in that part of the planet. And, well, and, they were investigating a life speed. That's right. So it, that brought them yes. basically to the area. They knew they were going to see something, but was it microbes? Was it... Arctic wolves or something. Oh, nope, that's a cargo container. Hey, Khan, yep. good to see you, buddy. <laughs> Even though Chekhov wasn't on the Enterprise in that episode. Nobody ever right. says that. Right, yep. So it was kind of fitting that, that he ended up being the person who ran into him, or one of the people who ran into him. Yeah. You want a, you want a good example of a good logic movie, even when it comes to sci-fi, go watch uh, The Avengers Endgame. I mean, they even make fun of the time travel aspect. Well, I thought it was like Back to the Future. Nope, it's not like that. It's not like it's one timeline that could be altered. It's parallel universes and all of this. It's a completely different dynamic, and for everybody that I've talked to, nobody was ultra confused by what can be a very confusing thing. How come Steve disappears and now there's an old man? How can that be Steve? Didn't he just go? You could follow the logic behind all of it, and it's a well-crafted movie, and with a heck of a lot of balls in the air, they could have let any one of them drop at any moment, and they never really did. And they walked you through it, and they talked you through it to the point where you were able to figure it out enough to the point, but nobody was left guessing and wondering, and huh? It worked. It was well-constructed, and if it took, what, 24 movies to build to that point, it was worth it because it finally delivered, and it was logical, and it wasn't just some overhyped, over-marketed thing just to get your dollars. It delivered. It better be if you're going to have 24 movies to get you to that point. I mean, Something oh, like that, yeah. man. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, diving into the convoluted world of movie logic a little bit today. So much to explore, but I think that last question of why do we accept it with some movies than others, I, th- I felt like that was a good way to round off this topic, Dave, because we do. We do accept it more in some movies than others, but... There are reasons we do it, and they, they usually, usually revolve around the quality of the movie. Absolutely. you got to have a good story, and the story has to exist within some realm of something believable, or at least if it's not believable, it's something that can bring you along so that you can follow it. But if it just if you can't carry the audience with you, whether it's from a logic gap or something, that's the problem. And at that point, you're just watching a two-hour flashing picture show, and you're not along for the story, and that's the point. So... Speaking of the point, uh, support your local theaters. If you're not feeling quite ready to go to a movie theater to go see a show just yet, understandable. I'm mostly amongst your ranks. Go get something to eat. Go get in there. Yep. Where are you going to find an IC in town? They seem to only be at movie theaters. Go get there. Get a snack. Get some popcorn. Have movie night at your house. But most of the dollars that a movie theater makes is at the concession stand anyway, not so much the movie tickets. So if you go get a snack at the theater, you're supporting not so much Hollywood, but you're supporting your local theater which uh, in a lot of cases is local ownership. So go support your local theaters. Go get a snack if you're not feeling up to going to see a show yet. Good logic, my friend. Very logical, Captain. Logical, indeed. <laughs> Can't believe we took until now to make a Spock logical reference. You did say Wrath of Khan. We did talk Star Trek. We I did. I suppose you're right. You brought up Star Trek first, though. That's true. You did. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm the logical Dave Brooks. And we will see you at, at the, the movies. movies.